Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Looking for something interesting to read? How about reading my newsletter? Yes, Ben Jarofsky, a newsletter. It's funny. It's insightful. It'll drive you crazy. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. All those good things. To get my newsletter, head to chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Do I have to spell it for you, people? C-H-I-C-A-G-O-R-E-A-D-E-R. I think even Chicagoans know how to spell Chicago.com. Go there and click on the newsletters button to sign up for the Daily Reader. You can read all my newsletters. This one is on the Bulls, my beloved Chicago Bulls. Read the newsletter at chicagoreader.com. Ben Jarofsky show for this Tuesday, October 24th starts now on today's show. Ben welcomes back 25th ward alderman talking Chicago's immigration situation and much more Byron Sigcho Lopez. The Ben Jarofsky show is a presentation of the Chicago reader, chicagoreader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. If you want to know where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, if you like getting newsletters sent directly to your email with all that kind of stuff and more, just head to chicagoreader.com. And if you want Ben Jarofsky, head to chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. He's right there for you. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling us Brandon and John Tuesday, and here's why. Brandon and John are friends. The Brandon in that sentence is Mayor Brandon Johnson. And the John is Johnny Catanzara, the head of the Fraternal Order Police. I'm sort of in jest when I say they're friends. But they cut a deal uh, over the weekend. It was announced. At least I saw it on the weekend. Uh, and I just had a smile. Uh, we got uh, Alderman Byron Sixer Lopez on deck. i get his thoughts on this uh, as well. But I had a smile. I'm going to tell you why I had a smile. Uh, because when Brandon Johnson uh, ran for mayor of the city of Chicago, sometimes I have a hard time saying city and Chicago. You try saying it 10 times and don't see if you don't swear when you say that. Um, but when uh, Brandon Johnson ran, he was lambasted by Cat uh, Zara, head of the Fraternal Order of Police, and all of Cat Zara's lovers, including Paul Vallis, oh my God, the Chicago Tribune editor, editorial, the, the usual packed of Looney Tunes in this city, right-wingers, centrists, people so afraid of what? I don't know what they were, I don't know what they saw in Brandon Johnson that made them so scared. I've known Brandon for a long time. He's one of the nicest guys you will ever meet. He's one of the few people in the world who will listen to what you say. And then he may duck and dodge and avoid taking a stand. He may take a stand that I disagree with, but he'll be a gentleman. And a class act the whole time. Why were so many North Side liberals so scared of Brandon Johnson? And part of it was that they were fired up by John Catanzara and the Fraternal Order of Police. 
What was it? He said something like, police will quit in droves if Brandon Johnson is elected mayor. So lo and behold, they cut a deal. Police get a raise, significant raise. I forget what it is. Off the top of my head, like 20%. I think that's what it was. Byron will correct me if I'm wrong. 20%. He's nodding, so I must have. It's about 16%, yeah. 16%, okay. They got a raise. He even agreed in the first form that that cockamamie arbitration deal. We'll get into that with Byron in a little bit. I know I know he has some strong feelings about that. Uh, and when it was all over, Kat and Zara had to go, well, I, I may have been wrong about Brandon Johnson after all. Oh, you think so? You know what? And I'll tell you what, folks. I know all millennials make fun of me and the Z's because everything reminds me of Harold Washington. But it's true. Everything reminds me of Harold Washington. Police were so afraid and so angry at Harold Washington when he was running. They said the worst things about him. And now, if you talk to any cop who was around in the 80s, any fire, fire, any municipal employee, they will tell you, Byron Sixer Lopez, that the fairest mayor to them, the fairest mayor to labor in the city of Chicago was Mayor Harold Washington. Far fairer, I might add, than Mayor Richie Daly. And I remember conversations I had in 1999 with Bobby Rush. Byron Sixer Lopez can't believe this. Byron, believe it or not, Bobby Rush ran for mayor of the city of Chicago in 1999. This is before became Bobby Rush became who he is now, sort of a fan of the dailies and everything like that. He, uh, and he was running as a progressive. They didn't really call him progressives in those days. I don't know what they called him. They didn't call him lefties. I don't know what they called him. He was running as a Harold Washington Democrat. Police wouldn't vote for him. They were like so mad at the Black Panthers from 1969. I'd be talking to cops. I go, you weren't even, you were like six. You weren't even, in some cases, you may not have even been born then. I can't forget. Long memories. I don't know, man. It's, it's a funny thing. Police oppose these liberal, lefty, progressive mayors, and they're usually the ones who give police the best deals. Very strange city we live in, the city of Chicago. All right, without further ado, Byron Sixer Lopez is very patiently waiting. I know he's got a lot to say about this and everything else in the world. He is the alderman of the 25th Ward and a dear friend of the show. Byron, welcome back. Thank you. Um, thank you, Ben. And indeed, so very strange and dangerous times we live in. Um, but let me let me start just addressing, I think you started with a question of this the police contract, right? And uh, as we are going to scrutinize that contract, I think I want to be, you know, it's important that we look at the context as well as the content, right? So the in context, right? And I think that's what I think we got to connect what's happening internationally to the local. Um, in 2015, right, there, um, there was a Guardian story that uh, broke uh, internationally about how the Chicago Police Department and uh, you know the and the previous and the and the police superintendent under Rahm Emanuel um, McCarthy will go up to the apartheid of Israel to to train police officers, right? And what took place, and I think that's what liberals in the North Side, I think, got to learn from history, hope one day. But 
There were about 3,500 Black Chicagoans that were detained in Homan Square, 3,500 Black residents in occupied, occupation-style tactics and strategies learned in the apartheid state of Israel. And they will say, well, no, no, that could not have happened during a liberal administration that is for all human rights and all that. 2,500 of these cases were under no other than the administration of Ram Emanuel. 2,500 of them. So when you connect the context, and of course, just as recently as, you know, last city council, we paid $25 million for one of the horrific torture cases of John Birch and the leftovers of that. Many of these came, you know, through those type of tactics and strategies learned again in the apartheid state of Israel. When we see the occupation, right, of Gaza, we got to see also what's happening locally, right? And again, former police superintendent of the Chicago Police Department, McCarthy, who ran for mayor. Now, let's, let's, let's remember that, right? Was part of these training trips and was deploying these style tactics in the poorest areas of the city of Chicago, just very much as we see now with tragic guys in Gaza. So I think it's important, you know, that we look at the global as much as the local, right, and see the connections, right? I hope Ram Emanuel is listening, the ambassador now, because, you know, some of these politicians get rewarded for their atrocities. And as they've done to the south side and are doing to Gaza, hope diplomacy can, at the very least, stop the barbarism. And, of course, the demonization of the socialists, right, who are the only few people who actually speak up about these facts, right? You know, before I was all, all the now that I'm in city council, we pose the same questions. So now let's talk about the budget because I think like around McDonald and the many, you know, okay, boy, the many, many tragic cases that are not only tragic because they humanize people, but they're also very expensive for the city of Chicago. I think, what about a billion dollars, right? I hope my, uh, um, my friends, not only liberals, but also conservatives, especially Paul Vallis, right? The same, you know, who loves to go to to uh, places when they deny elections and to, you know, react to every little thing and showing even guns when he goes to the toilet, apparently. So I think, you know, I think that these are some of the reactionary, delusional politics of the old the Mayor Johnson refers to. And let's talk now about the politics of the new, what it is important and why Chicago is so pivotal in these moments. So the, the mayor, you got you know, you talk about the budget, right? I think that, you know, the mayor was clear. They talk about races of, of the police officers and the police department. And some of that, I don't want, you know, they're won or they are negotiated in uh, arbitration, right? And I think that those contracts, and again, some of us who, you know, have gone also, uh, I was a former steward of SAU 73. So, you know, in labor negotiations, you know, I think the arbitrator has, you know, a lot to do, and then the mayor will agree to some things. Some other things will be discussed and voted in city council. So now, let me say about, so the 16% of races, you know, that's what we talk about, right? There's about, you know, races of the police department. And again, in a time where everybody talks about safety and stability, I think the mayor is trying to provide that. Now, and I think in democracy, we can always agree to disagree, 
but I just want to provide the context and the content. One also thing, one of the things that we got to talk about is this arbitration decision about these very ugly cases, right? About some of the police officers that have been fired or suspended for more than a year because outrageous cases of police misconduct, right? That go to arbitration. And they wanted to keep those um, those uh, those cases outside of the public eye and outside or away from the Chicago Police Board, right? So that is something that will be voted. And that's what the mayor made sure that that's something that there was not agreement on. And the city council, we have to vote on. I was, I've been clear on those cases. I'll be clear again, my position on that. And again, I will probably have pushed for that, right? So, and again, we can agree to disagree, but let's bring it in context that Mayor Johnson has a very tough time during very dangerous times to make sure that people are safe. And for that, I will focus on that is a negotiation of salaries. And now we talk about what it has behind it, right? So that is one thing that we as the city council and every city council member has the responsibility because I think some of these reactionaries, some of these same members of the city council who love to pander to Republicans, right, to create instability, but they will be the first ones to talk about fiscal responsibility. You know, we'll go and vote against police misconduct settlements, right? But there are the same people who will oppose constitutional policing as well. So you, I think to my, because I don't want, I, I want to be fair when we, we talk about liberals and conservatives, right, and the contradictions. I do think it's important, right, to know that constitutional policing, right, it starts with transparency and making sure that we're kind of put public so that we prevent the horrific, you know, legacies that we are inheriting, horrible legacies, and a history of the Chicago Police Department that it was always, it was not here to keep people safe, right? It was to enslave and to keep enslaving and to keep exploiting and to serve capital. But in that sense, this is an opportunity to think, and I'm going to talk about the other part of the content, right? That Mayor Johnson talks about safety. And in that sense, the other thing that, that this country has is making sure that we're going to move, you know, to the to move um, towards the civilization of the police department, right? 400 non-police positions will be moved now as part of the Chicago Police Department, 400. And I think that is where the, you know, the conversation should lie. I do think that is a move in the right direction. Mm -hmm. It's also Mayor Johnson has talked about moving and promoting people to now have 200 new detectives. I think that is a, a significant step forward because what we hear from our community, again, and we can have our different opinions um, in terms of progressive, what not progressive, in my opinion, that word progressive is, uh, it is now, you know, so misused that it doesn't really matter. But I will say that it is important to focus on those, you know, important aspects. So when we look as a whole, right, and again, the city council members love to have it both ways, right? They are okay with unconstitutional policing, right, and to send, you know, McCarthy, you know, to learn tactics of occupation, to deploy it in, in, in the poorest areas of the city. But they will be the first ones to decry that what we're paying so much money in police misconduct settlements, and that they're the ones who really worry and say, you know, the, the advocate for working people in the city of Chicago. So let's, let's, I think the emperor has no clothes, what I would say, right? I think it's clear, and I want to make sure that it is important that the people look at the context as well as the content when they're looking at this in front of their eyes. All right. I, uh, we're going to get to, uh, uh, 
Alderman uh, Lopez's trip to the border, Byron's trip to the border. So I, I promised this last week, Byron. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about that. So I haven't forgotten that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but uh, since we're now talking about the police contract and it's uh, before the city council and there are hearings and uh, we're doing this recording in between the hearings. Uh, and uh, Byron, I know has to get back to that uh, the hearing. Uh, so essentially, uh, as it's been presented, there are two issues that the city council is going to have to, to face. Uh, one is the contract, uh, the financial end of the contract, the raises, uh, and then also the issue like things like hiring more uh, detectives, getting more detectives on the force. Uh, and then there's the issue of dealing with arbitration. And uh, as I understand it, those two matters can be voted on separately. So it's possible for Byron or any other alderman uh, to vote for the, uh, the raises and uh, for the more detectives, et cetera, and so forth, and vote no uh, on going to arbitration for these contentious cases. You could do both. And in fact, Mayor Johnson is, a, is formally uh, recommending that uh, the alderman vote no uh, on the arbitration matter and vote yes uh, on the contract, which raises the question, well, why did you agree to it in the first place? Why did you? <laughs> and, you know... Probably, if I may hazard a guess, and then we'll see uh, if you agree with me, Byron. He was like, well, let Byron be the bad guy and vote it down. And I'll go to Cat and Sarah. You can't do anything with Byron. He's unbelievable. I try. I can't do it. And that Carlos, forget him. And don't even talk to me about Rosanna. So <laughs> essentially, uh, what do they say? You get your you, you, you get your cake and eat it too, that old saying, you know. Uh <laughs> So where are, you, where are you at, Byron? Are you right now going to vote for the raises and against arbitration? Well, I'm, right now we're looking. Uh, I'm definitely I'm, I'm, uh, I, uh, I am against anything that goes away from the public, right? So I will, I will uh, vote against trying to take this to arbitration to the private sector. And, you know, that must remain in the public eye, in the, you know, for the Chicago Police Board and City Council to look at. And furthermore, I think this is important because as we see the many cases, and I think it's a whole expose of the sometimes, you know, these white supremacist extremists out from the Chicago Police Department, right? So that's another part of the, so I will be discussing, you know, in fact, I'll, after this, I will be go back because one of the things that we can do is reward, you know, that kind of behavior. Let's remember, and I want to be clear, there were 27 members of the Chicago Police Department in this expose of the sometimes with ties to the Oath Keepers. That is the group that was responsibly and linked to the insurrection of, of, of January 6th. Furthermore, in their, in their membership, they are committed to basically overthrowing the government. They do not believe in government, right? So they are white supremacist groups, 27 of them, right, that are vested in creating chaos. With everything that we see in the city of Chicago, you know, and also the, the international politics that I think are very, um, and we need to connect it about to see who the reactionaries are, right? Who are the people who promote that and violence. And that's what I think we got to talk to the human beings and dialogue, right? Must prevail. So we want to make sure that we discuss some things that are important for the public, right? And I, that's what I think in, in the council, we have 50 members, right? And I think consensus, you know, and in democracy, that's how it works. We'll respond to our constituents and I will take my um, my vote with my constituents. You know, we have town halls, you know, we participate um, in, you know, uh, regular check-ins with the community to see our votes. But what I would say is that 
this is the time, right, when we as elected officials have the responsibility to look at these budgets, the context and the content, because there are reactionary groups, the same people that are sending buses from, and I can, you know, we can talk about the trip to, to uh, because all of this is interconnected. The, 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 the same Republican reactionary governments that are committing human rights violations. Um, Ab Governor Abbott now is uh, is being called, I mean, the uh, Congressman ja uh, Jonathan Jackson has called for a federal investigation on the policies of Governor Abbott that is inhumanely, basically committing human trafficking, but without notifying um, refugees, sending in buses to Chicago and other cities. And this is just to destabilize cities like Chicago, to create violence. These people don't believe in government. They believe in dictators. They believe in fascism, right? And I think that when we see in the city of Chicago, when we see hundreds of buses that have arrived since the Democratic Convention was declared in Chicago, right? At the same time, the cities, literally, St. Louis, cities like Topeka, Kansas, the red state that was offering jobs to new uh, workers for asylum seekers, literally, thousands of jobs. Now they remain paying incentives even to bring in. Governor Abbott says, I don't believe in that. I believe in violence and destabilizing a democratic state for the sake of political gain. That yeah. is the, that was on trial today also for Trump. But these individuals, again, are destabilizing cities like Chicago, trying to create chaos. And I think it's important that we look at policies, federal, state, and, and local, that addresses the issues on the ground. That's what I want to connect the global to the local. They have a lot to do. All right. I'm going to uh, push back on you a little bit. I agree with you that Governor Abbott is up to no good. I agree with you that Governor Abbott uh, wants to cause chaos and confusion in cities like Chicago. I agree with you that uh, get, uh, Governor Abbott uh, is interested, uh, motivated mainly by embarrassing Chicago, embarrassing the Democrats, undercut uh, Joe, Joe Biden's uh, re-election campaign uh, to and make it seem as though Democratic-run cities uh, just are uh, hypocritical. Okay, I absolutely agree with you on that political point. There's no doubt in my mind. I also agree with you that it is uh, it is cruel uh, for Governor Abbott's uh, agents in Texas uh, to uh, put Venezuela, convince Venezuelans that somehow there'll be a they'll be welcomed in the city of Chicago. Okay, and then it's like to lure them into getting on that bus to go to the city of Chicago. Everything you say, I agree with, but the city of Chicago's response, I'm going to push back. Mm. Horrific. And Byron, you know it. You know where I'm going with this because you've heard me on this mm -hmm. horrific response to the city of Chicago. And it has exposed when Kansas and Missouri, don't forget St. Louis, they are more humanitarian in their attitudes toward Venezuelan immigrants than the city of Chicago. That's an embarrassment. And the inability of the city of Chicago to treat this like an opportunity and to view it as a problem, as a crisis. I find striking, particularly any when it comes to any kind of upscale deal. This city is ready to build. But when it comes to building housing for new immigrants and you know what? Put black people to work building that housing, which is a very important part. This is incapable of doing that in the city of Chicago. And they got a million excuses to explain why they're incapable of doing it. Instead, we go to Tent City. So I agree with a good chunk of what you said, but I cannot take Chicago off the hook, Byron. And that attack on uh, Alderwoman Ramirez was a disgrace last week, an absolute disgrace uh, that it's like, I don't know, we even know like where, what people in Chicago are thinking of. They're so afraid 
of new neighbors. There, got that off my chest. Your response. Absolutely. And I think as, as elected officials, we have to accept that responsibility, right? And I think uh, that is being part of the problem now. And I agree with you. And I will say that part of the problem has been not only the you know federal government completely missing in all of this, right? I think they're more uh, they're busier uh, bombing children than actually helping the children in our communities, right? So I, I tell you that it is important for us that we connect the dots because in cities like Chicago, we have seen how century, the century concept even is now with some Carl Washington, right? Carl Washington and Rudy Lozano, that beautiful coalition that you always remember and the great to remember, and we try to remember, was talking about, you know, treating workers, right? All human beings the same, right? That's how, I mean, these are visionaries what we talk about, right? Rudy Lozano is no longer with us, neither um, former uh, Mayor Washington, but certainly that spirit is among Chicagoans, I can feel it. Now, now let's talk about that city council, right? So I wanna distinguish the two. Um, so in city council under Mayor Lightfoot, right? And again, Title 42, that horrific Trump era policy to use the pandemic to separate families, to close borders, to build walls, all sorts of things, was lifted and predictably was lifted. So I, I wanna make sure that not only I don't left our city government of the hook, not the state, not the federal government, because there's a lot of responsibility here to share. As President Biden knew, for over two years that this policy was gonna be set to expire. This was in August of last year, right? Mayor Lightfoot, even though I sent personally two or three letters, I'm talking about the leader of the city council before Mayor Johnson. We said, look, this is in September. He said, Title 42 is being lifted. So we've been having, this is talk about over a year, right? Of knowing. We already had intelligence that projected because I was asking numbers, I was asking departments, I was, you know, trying to understand the magnitude of the problem. We knew that this was of the not having a policy would be a problem, not the people calling. And we projected the city between 15 to 20,000 people by now, which is pretty much in line with what we think, right? About just about 20,000. So we have all this time, right? to think about policy, to create a plan. I, on September of last year, when we already started seeing people coming in, sent at least one in person with a, the, I think the third letter came with a bunch of public health experts. Talking about Harold Washington, right? I was joined by no other by the commissioner of public health and the mayor of Harold Washington, uh, Barbara Norman, Dr. Norman, great friend. And, you know, hopefully she listens to the wonderful people that are still fighting for us. Mayor Lightfoot, who loved to talk about Harold Washington, right? She would love to see, you know, she, I think, you know, probably more like Mayor Byrne, right? Like history showed. But, you know, but I do think that in terms of the response from the city, we had all this time to develop a plan, nothing. It came December of last year when the situation was already dire. Mayor, John, Mayor Lightfoot was still in office. There were so many people outside that we had to open my office in December. We'd be opening for homeless people every year because of Mayor Lightfoot's inability to listen, right? Just to listen. So we opened the door for Venezuelans who had no jackets in the middle of the winter time that had arrived with like, this was a life or death situation. So we had to open my office 
later on, because the situation kept worsening, thanks to Dr. Figueroa of the Pilsen Food Pantry, we set up an emergency shelter without any support from the state or the city, nobody. At the same time, there was a small homeowner who said, look, I, I, this is tragic. I opened the door. So we created an improvised shelter, right, for about 30 people because there was no, no plan. There was once forever no plan. So that's what I want to tell you, that when, when Mayor Johnson says there was precious time lost, he means it. I mean, he yeah. sees everything that happened. So I, I, I agree with you. And I think Mayor, Mayor Lightfoot gets rewarded by no other than another, another colonial institution like Harvard University to go teach a class of other than public health. They joke on the people, right? So I hope that, you know, these institutions one day, right, they get decolonialized. But for the time being, I think that it's, it's, it's clear to know that Mayor Johnson, as he convened, this is May of, um, I think as he has mayor-elect, he's coming May 20th. And one of the, that's what I know this is totally intentional to polish, to punish the mayor of the city of Chicago for daring to believe in people. So as May 11, I think May 11 when they announced, or, or yeah, May 11, no, May 9th, because remember, May 9th when they announced that the DNC was going to happen in Chicago, yeah. Mayor Johnson was not even in office, but the buses start coming. He was not even in office by the time that Mayor Johnson was already in office. I remember first visit that he made. What's a police station, right? So in the 12th, so I want to put in context and look, since May, since he's been mayor, we've been, and look, I'm the housing chair, I take full responsibility. And I want to make sure that the state takes full responsibility and I have done so. And I have been vocal about Governor Prisker that has to be more, uh, more on the ground. I have to be like, worry about what's happening on the ground and not disconnected from reality. And also President Biden, who yeah, is nowhere no. to be fine. Okay, so, you're absolutely correct. I mean, <laughs> the handoff from Lori Lightfoot to Brandon Johnson was abysmal. And I've talked about this a lot. Uh, the whole, the old uh, committee that, that Andre Vasquez now uh, sits on, I forget the exact name of it, but oversees matters of immigration, should be overseeing this, uh, the influx of people being bust in from uh Texas, they didn't even meet. They didn't even have meetings. We didn't even meet what? Even though we asked him. Even though okay. we asked him to yeah. meet. So ab ab abysmal. The federal government, abysmal. They come to Chicago, they cut the deal. And by the way, let's be honest about this. Brandon Johnson supported having the convention come here. Yes, the, the, the deal was officially announced before he took office. You're absolutely correct. But he was bragging about it. He goes, it's my election that'll bring him here. Okay, so and right now and they were planning the feds under Biden were planning with Mayor Johnson uh, and with Governor Pritzker to have the convention come here. And no time did anybody in the state, the city or the federal government say, you know, it might be a good idea to think about this influx of immigrants coming on these buses from Texas. Figure out even if we don't care about the humanity of it all. Byron. Even we don't care about these people. At least, like, make it look ourselves look good when we have the convention here to have be able to say we took care of people, we we built housing for people, we put Chicagoans to work to build the housing for people. We didn't rely on Tenth City, you know that nobody said that. The buses kept coming in, 
And the summer went by. It was Mayor Johnson. It wasn't Mayor Lightfoot. And see, I have to tell it like it is when I see it, Byron. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the city drop the freaking ball on this thing. And now here we are heading into winter. I don't, they still haven't figured out where the tents are going to go. I'm even sure they're going to be appropriate uh, for winter time in the city of Chicago. And like the outreach to the neighborhoods is horrific. Mm-hmm. And we saw that with uh, Alderman Woman Ramirez. It's just like more people are against the tents than for the tents that show up at the meetings. The administration doesn't have a way of like protecting aldermen. That's about the way, best way I could say it, to go in and talk to residents and say, this can benefit you too. Mm-hmm. I saw that with uh, Alderman Yancey when he took it to the Fifth Ward. Uh, I saw that uh, uh, with Alderwoman uh, Taylor when they took it to the 20th Ward. Aldermen are being barraged with people outraged that the immigrants are put. And I don't see that the city on board with a plan with a message even, hey, this could help you. We're going to put you to work building this stuff. Nothing, uh, Byron, nothing. It's So I have a hard time just blaming everything on Lori Lightfoot because yeah. we are now six months into Brandon Johnson administration. Go. Yeah, no, I, and again, we all, should, like I said, I, I we accept responsibility, right? I just want to make sure that, again, we discuss the content, right? The facts are the facts, right? So that's what I mentioned. Since May, I mean, we talk about the 40 years of neoliberal policies, right? That, and <laughs> disaster of the federal policies outside, right? That now, you know, are, <laughs> are all coming to uh, show us, right? The interconnections, right? Of what's happening outside in the global South with our cities, because, for instance, I'll give you an example, and that's what is important that, and again, that we go to the border. I think Mayor Johnson, right, is doing what no other mayor has done, which is sending a delegation. And Mayor Johnson knows that I'm an independent. Mayor Johnson knows that I will write in the report what we see, right, and that we have expertise, right, that is informed by the people on the ground. And that he sends us, right, and again, Mayor Johnson was going to go with us, right, just to highlight the needs in the city like Chicago, that imagine in the last four years, ever since Mayor, Mayor R. Washington built a coalition that was going to put people first. But as I mentioned, time lost was lost. Time lost, time has been lost for decades, right? So that's what I put it in context. Now, Mayor Johnson comes with a premise of changing that, and then he finds with the cards that he's been dealt when he has a party that doesn't like progressives either, and that he has... Republicans are determined to sabotage us. And in that sense now, Mayor Johnson has to make lemonade, right, with the lemons that he has. And I tell you that for a mayor to send a delegation to the border, and in the border, what we hear, right? We hear that we have had this migration getting to the point for years, right, since 2014, right? In 2019, I think what we changes is drastically, and I think that's what people are starting to see, is now unaccompanied minors and families. And now there are families from the three countries where we don't have economic, we don't have diplomatic ties, Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela. And then we want that, Guatemala, maybe another one. And let's talk about why that is important. Right, because as we see in Gaza and, and 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 the conflict and the war and the dehumanization, we have seen in the global south, everything's and that's what history has to teach us here. Right, 
in the last 50 years, right, and the coalition that was in Chicago and was happening in the global south, they're all interconnected. Since Salvador Allende, the president democratically socialist elected in Chile, was assassinated by the CIA, that's documented, and in complicity with a dictator, we have seen the most bloody dictators and massive wars that they call the, the war on, on, on the drugs. It was also the war on the poor, right? That, and then if you add that with massive oil extraction and mining and natural resources, President Trump talks about that openly, right? And we see now, you know, instead of strong democracy, destabilization, we see migration. And if we look at those countries and the economic sanctions imposed, that explains the migration. That's why the federal government accepts responsibility by letting people into parole legally, because they know they cause it. But yet they're unwilling to now. And, and it's possible because when you see 29,000 Ukrainians, right? And then you have the whole picture now for us to see, right? Now, do we want to see it? Or are we going to go after everybody who wants to show it to us? But the reality is that 29,000 Ukrainians were safely and properly relocated in Chicagoland area by two factors. One, having a work permit, and two, having federal assistance by via sponsorships, right? Something that it is, um, you know, something that the federal government sponsors regularly. Now, what happens with these migrants that came in from my Venezuela, Nicaragua, and these other countries, when they don't have diplomatic ties, they don't have documents. Some of them have been victims of the cartels. They have been also victims of the humanization on the other side. So when they come in, they come in with nothing. And when they don't have a work permit, to begin with, I was an asylum seeker, and then you tell if you work, then we're gonna deport you, right? Then you are just another victim of this system that is trying to create more people to go to jail, that, that is actually to invest with having workers. We have deficits in workers in so many areas, just in manufacturing, 30,000 workers. So, so they wait for a whole year to create chaos, to pander to the, to the bipartisan madness, right? That now is playing out well, right? They don't even speak. That's how dysfunctional they are. Now, in a time like this, we gotta look at the, all this is happening right in front of us. So what I'm saying is that what we need to do is to look at what's happening at the border, right? Why people are coming here. Yeah. And once they're here, the federal government goes farther and makes it even worse, right? Not only no work permit that now they have after we fought for it, and now we're now scrambling to, but now they invest out of the $10, that they, every $10 that we've sent for help, $8 are for law enforcement and U.S. patrolling, only $2 is for housing. Right. So when you look at the grossly, and then you allow, you know, FEMA could be intervening here before Governor Abbott goes to the border and starts putting people everywhere to make sure that there's coordination, federal coordination and the sponsorship programs. That, like to your point, this, if we wouldn't have the racist policies that have dominated, and then on top of that, you know, guess who has to always come to the rescue? Chicago, the working people, as we are facing all of this, our property taxes in our community has been double or triple, right? They're trying to kick us out on top yeah. of that. People in the south and the west side of Chicago are probably making it. Again, victims of occupation style, tactics and strategies and all that. And then you say, Chicago, go and deal with this. Completely alone with no support. No, they and should then, be. You know, and look, but, but Ben, let me finish with this. And you know who is to blame? The progressive black mayor. So in all that, you know, there's a plan, of course, to all of this, right? I mean, I tell you for once, you know, it is important that we start looking at our, our, our checks and balances institutions because this is madness 
set up to fail and to blame the people that are trying to help. And that's what Malcolm X warn us, right? Let's be careful, right? Because the media and the corporate media that we know is lying, I think by all know, by all, but now we all know that there's so much misinformation out there, right? Because Malcolm has warned us about this. They'll get us, the weapons of mass destruction will get us to hate the people trying to help us and to praise those who are dehumanizing us. So that's what I want to make sure that in this, what I tell you is that we're going to have a report that we're going to send to the White House okay. that is detailed about all everything I'm telling you with backing and all that because those funds that are sent for sponsors, they have to come to Chicago and to your point. We get people on the south side and west side back to work and Thank with you. the resources that they need. But that's the fight that I'm telling you, a mayor that just decided makes six months into the job, right? And he's already up for the challenge. I respect any day a mayor that is up for the challenge than a mayor like Lori Lightfoot, who, like I said, didn't even let us know what he was doing. She governed very much like a modern day, day dictator that would turn off the mice when it was inconvenient. And now try to put all of that on the mayor who, of course, she said uh, he will never be mayor. Guess what? That's the beauty of life, right? The beauty of life is that we have the agency to fight it and change it. And that's my message for everybody. Let's participate because we are the majority of working people. We know that it's unfair. And now we're going to fight for work permits for all of us in the community. We're going to fight in the convention so that immigration reform and reparations and the funding that is needed in our community, we just got a flooding because of the, 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 the extreme weather that we have. 15,000 black residents left almost on the cold. There's so much that unites us. And that's what I think is important that we diagnose this, right? I accept full responsibility. HOT, CHA, all these agencies, the state, trust me, Ben, we're going to fight to make it work, but we're talking about decades of disinvestment and centuries of colonization. All right. Uh, so the important point uh, for Chicagoans uh, is that point you said near the end, in my humble opinion, uh, sort of break away from this narrative that exists right now in the city of Chicago that uh, the influx of Venezuelan immigrants being busted in is uh, a detriment to the city. If we could break that narrative, okay? <laughs> I would really be appreciate that. Yeah. You know, that that's a be... very important step forward if we could break that narrative. Look, and... I, I, simple, Ben, like for people to know. Look, we have issues with pensions. We have issues with the best way. And even Alderman, conservative Alderman will agree with us. More people means more revenue. That clear. For my good, you know, friends who have other views, I tell you, that's simple as water. No, we had, uh, it was, uh, I urge everybody to check it out. Uh, sometimes reporter uh, Nader Issa was on the show last week's uh, beat reporter. We talked about this just in terms of the schools. More people <laughs> means more money for the schools. And there are children in those classrooms. Uh, so, all right, let's get back to your border visit. Uh, and I'm with you. I thought uh, it was. I thought it was important. Uh, I thought Mayor Johnson should go. As one one guy in the media who thought he should go, he mm -hmm. he decided not to go. Let's not relitigate that one. I talked enough about that. Uh, <laughs> just I don't know media the way you jumped on that one. Um, so you went, and what did you see? Talk a little bit about what you saw. Uh, on that uh, trip, which was last week, because I've lost track of time, Byron, but it was last week. What did you see uh, that gave you new insights 
and to uh, the situation we're facing in Chicago? Well, just to hear, you know, the same things that we're saying, like we heard from the, uh, the mayor of El Paso, the mayor from San Antonio, and everybody's talking about the same thing, right? They, they talk about, look, we need more coordination, right? We need, we need to talk, right? Just simple things, you know, we need to see what's going on. We need to understand, right? And at the same time, they're like just reacting, right? They're just trying to react. So municipalities are given that, you know, and that's the thing when you have, and that's the thing that when it comes problematic and dysfunctional, when you have federal authorities trying to undermine local authorities, that is real. And you see it on the ground, right? And when the state authorities are, and there's, you know, so many elements here and there's no coordination because the narrative is less discourse on political cheap points. And doesn't matter, we have to, uh, you know, if they have to play with people's lives to achieve that. Mm -hmm. So what we saw is that, I mean, the, the dehumanization of people, I mean, children treated like criminals. I mean, we talk about unaccompanied minors. And I think that's what the most, the most um, tragic thing is to see, you know, children being treated, you know, inhumanely. I mean, for any parent, right? For anybody who sees that, right? I mean, the federal government, right? did not even provide blankets. It was a cold room. They, they, they want you out. They want you out in 72 hours for, for what? So you enter parole, they process you, and they offer words that to me are even concerning, right? Where they know that the people arriving have been victims of all sorts of um, atrocities in the trip and violence and cartels. And then when they come in, right? Like I see people with that, you know, they, you have those, you know, some of those blankets that look at aluminum foil, right? They don't have blankets because they said that, they, you know, they, they, they basically it's harder for them to wash them, right, to, to provide. So they they talk about detention facilities, right, for people who are fleeing violence, to your point, right, for people who are fleeing the interventions that are failing and installing dictatorships, right, like Bolsonaro, instead of strong democracies, right? So I think that what we saw are people just fleeing violence and children and accompanying minors. I saw a group of kids, like a line of kids that were just told to walk like if they were in jail because they're flying violence. They're fleeing violence. And uh, again, that's what the authorities on the border are saying, look, these are families, these are accompanying minors. There's gotta be, you know, a way for us to put efforts that will make these, these already tragic things more humane, right? People who have trauma, who are looking for house, you know, kids are looking into all that. So. What was eye-opening is to see people ready because I, I remember it was an NGO that I, you know, not necessarily, you know, um, agree all the time. But in his eyes, I said, look, I, in one of the shelters I saw, I said, look, we have capacity for 750 people. We are double that. The people in parking lots, their babies next to trash cans, you know? So he's like, I have to, you know, do what I can, but I will go and beg if I have to. That's coming from the director of an agency. So, but why people have to go through these lens while there's so much abundance, right? We literally putting billions and billions in military com confinement facilities. That's what, you know, the tents that they're using, those are getting military contracts. President Eisenhower even denounced at one point the military industrial complex. That's what we saw at play, right? Like more money in law enforcement, more money to surveillance, very little to actually attend the crisis. So right now we have 18,000 for what we understand, thousand people waiting 
in Ciudad Juarez, in Juarez City, right? Mm -hmm. Because people keep flying violence. And the way they come. But democracies like Haiti, another victim of interventions that are failing everybody. And again, entire communities that are dismantled and then people flee for safety, right? Only to be met with more barbarism, right? So I think that what I saw on the border was in a way a call for action to say, look, there's people trying to help. American people are trying to help. Like people, regular people trying to help. But these institutions that we have are doing everything possible to be at the service of oligarchs and military complexes that are taking away valuable resources that could help us get housing for everybody. Look, there's no reason why we can, in a matter of a few months, house all 20,000 people in Chicago that are looking asylum and the 65,000 people that are waiting. There's no reason. There's no reason. We know how to do it. And furthermore, we have the funding. What we don't have is the political will. And these oligarchs, the people that are creating violence, are the people that we got to look into. Look, the, remember, I mean, I'll, I'll make it local. Let's not even talk about federal funding because we know that we have at least $100 billion, right? That can be just be given by executive order. Right now we know that, right? Now, we had, remember in 2019, that's what I like, not to go back in the past to, to give excuses, but to give context. In 2019, I was one of those few aldermen who went and protested the teeth giveaways that Lori Lightfoot gave after campaign against it to two developers. $2.3 billion with a B in TIF funding. $2.3 billion with a B. And now we are fighting because $53 million, which I agree, should never be paid to the contractors from Texas or Florida that are laughing at us. I will never do that. We should be paying for Chicagoans who actually know how to take care of people because we've done it and I am witness of it. So I don't have to look for a track record of people that I know that are mistreating people when I have Chicagoans any day, every day, who are going yeah. to do this for us. But those two, imagine imagine this, Ben, that we know that we have $2 billion in, in TIF right now. Imagine, right, and I think that's what actually we're doing, right? We start putting TIF, right, back in our schools, back in our neighborhoods, back in our housing, you know, holding these bankers accountable. Let's think of a city, right? We have 300,000 black residents who left because the city of Chicago was using, again, Occupy-style strategies. Occupation style strategies, documented. And again, we have the superintendent McCarthy to, to, to show, you know, that he actually believes in that, right? Like what we have is now the ability to house everybody. No human being should be. And again, Mayor Johnson agrees. Human uh, Housing is a human right. The sanctuary concept is the, the concept of Rudy Lozano and former Mayor Johnson, Mayor Washington. And look, we have a city who is trying to help but you cannot double the taxes and ask for that. You cannot take away funding for basic like needs of mental health and education and all that, and then ask us to do more. You cannot do that. So in that sense, it's unfair. And I think what we're going to do is to do what we should have done for a long, long time: organize to hold the state and the city and the and the federal government accountable to fund the kind of cities that we want to be. Well, I, I I'm going to put a heavy emphasis on the federal government. Yes. A, a heavy emphasis on the federal government. Uh, on this one, uh, because this is a, pro a problem bigger. Financing, building the housing that cities like Chicago need uh, is bigger than 
the city of Chicago and bigger than the state. It's a federal uh, situation. It should be funded federally. Uh, and the city, and I agree with that last riff you went on, should get its act together and get its message out. So like when an older woman like Julia Ramirez goes before her constituents, she could say, oh, well, this is how it's going to benefit you. And when Alderman Yancey goes to the promontory before his constituents, he could say, oh, this is how it's benefiting you. And when JT, Jeanette Taylor, goes before her constituents, she could say, this is how it's benefiting you. And Ronnie Mosley in the 21st war, and on and on and on and on. Right now, I will say it again. The city has dropped the ball, and the federal government has dropped the ball, and the state has dropped the ball. But it, from this point on, I don't believe we should have a repeat of what we saw last week in the 12th Ward. And Julia Ramirez has said uh, that she didn't even know the 10th city was coming to her ward. Like the, the Johnson administration didn't even tell her that. And Byron, it's too late in the game to be this disorganized in my home. I don't even know if we have a housing commissioner at the moment. Yeah. Uh, we don't have a housing commissioner. Yeah. Yeah. You know, by the way, you know me, the TIF stuff, you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. $1.3 billion for Lincoln Yards, that cockamamie 78. They, 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 they dislike Byron so much. One of my favorite stories. They moved. <laughs> they made sure he was nowhere near the 78, okay, which is a downtown development that would have been in his ward. They trusted Danny Solis with that, okay, the guy who wore the wire on Burke, but they don't trust Byron Sixer Lopez. Okay, fine. There should be not one nickel for an upscale development in the city of Chicago. Not one nickel for a 78 or a uh, Lincoln Yards until they take care of the needs of Chicagoans. Until they build the housing that people need and been demanding for all these years. And they put Chicagoans to work. And that is the part, Mayor Johnson, if you listen to one thing, put Chicagoans to work on that. So that when Desmond Yancey goes into the fifth ward, He's showing them, look, this is what you're getting out of this. And for once, the city of Chicago can say to black people, this is what you're getting out of this, as opposed to getting moved out of the city of Chicago. I know you agree with me in this, Byron. I agree. I agree. It may, I agree. Yeah. It may be easier for me to say it because I'm just some guy on a podcast, as opposed to an alderman who has to deal with the mayor's people who go, hey, watch what you say, Byron. <laughs> <laughs> you want that housing yeah, no, think, you got it's a little different. <laughs> I know it's easier for me to say it, Byron. I yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, no, and again, look, I, I think that the in the trip to the border, I was glad to see a state delegation, right? Which is true, right? So that's the welcoming change, right? Not because it was not on us. We've been ready to to work day one, right? I have also reached out to the assessor's office to talk and say what we can do also to help working people in Chicago. So state, county, right? And also right at the at, at the federal government, right? We are, you know, calling uh, on people to work, right, with us to help Chicagoans, right, to put Chicagoans to work, to to help, you know, people who have been disinvested for so long, mental health, education, you name it, right, work programs that have been, you know, almost inaccessible to 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 the um, 
to uh, the people, to our young people in particular, right? So I agree with you. We got to make sure that we get more access to the trades, to people from our neighborhoods. We got to bring more people, you know, the opportunities that arrive. And again, demanding accountability from every level of government. I, for one, right, again, I'm glad to have a mayor who's up to the challenge, right? As the chair of the housing committee, right? I'm doing my part, you know, and again, part of it is not only, right, to demand more, but also accept the responsibility. So I think I agree with you. Now funding should be, and I like that as to move. I think narratives will change when you start changing those, right? When we say, look, no money will be given, right, for high-end development until we have met the needs of housing of Chicago. We have been waiting for so long. I love that it changes the narrative. Also, when we said about changing the narrative, when people said, uh, and it's like this conversation, you know, that we even we having, right, about, you know, that, you know, when we even we said, look, we got to stop genocide. And we said, well, we, you know, we got to do what's fair and what's right and what's right is to be on the side of the working people who have been suffering for so long. Oligarchs don't need any help. I think that they are doing even greater than they ever did before. So yeah. this is the time, I think, to your point, to change the narrative about these human beings that are arriving, right? Like many of us have come, right? And generations, right? Right? Are, are suffering. They're coming. They're barely making it here with their families, right? Just, and again, I, I sympathize because the community here has gone through similar things. That's what I feel for a community who's now barely making it, offering, you know, basements and coach houses, and then their taxes get done. You know, I hear the, the, you know, the, the outrage, right? And the anger. But we got to put it where, where it has to be. In those who are looking the other way, right? And those elected officials, federal officials that I don't even think that they stay, you know, they don't even visit their constituents after time, right? So I think that we got to get our local federal officials boots on the ground, away from the, the cocktail parties and, and the smooshing that goes along because that's what is the problem too. Get them boots on the ground, do the work. They think that they're, they, they, they feel like they're monarchs. They are working people, public servants like anybody else. And I think that at the extent that we can connect us and re and they can reconnect us with our humanity to your point, we'll see human people coming as a blessing, as a gift, as something that is positive. And at the same time that we start looking at how in the world we allow 300,000 black residents to be picked out of the city in front of our eyes. So that, and that's what I mentioned, right? I mean, the, the administrations before us, right? And their complicity and responsibility in all of that, and our responsibility to amend and to give people hope that we're not going to be doing just like that. And I tell you, at least some of us in government are here out of need. You know, I come from the current Lewis group. You know, that is my leader, right? So current Lewis, right? Inspire us, right? Rui Lozano and Harold before them, and many before them, many other ancestors, right? So. I, I hear you loud and clear. That's what I'm going to say. Look, let's talk about this. Let's have these candid conversations. Hold me accountable. Let's have more dialogue. We should not be afraid of that, right? And I'll take it. Look, we need to build 120,000 units of housing in the city of Chicago. And we're going to fight for them, right? Because we need it all the way in between. We have to have tenants. There's no, we need help. And we're going to fight because our city, and again, I will be, that's what is so, 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 so valuable fighting for, right? Martin Luther King was very prophetic when he said that, right? And he said, like, if labor movement and the, and, and the people in Chicago will come together, and if it happens in Chicago, it'll happen all over the world. Because we, And you know, Ben, you know, you know the city of Chicago, the city of broad shoulders. But we have oligarchs that are so pervasive. The people who are in institutions 
were the 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 uh, the Chicago boys, right? Come from right those neoliberal, you know, brainwashing, trickle down economics that don't work. Here's where they were born, and if we can show a valid alternative, that's what they that was we're so afraid of Mayor Johnson, because yeah. if this is the really the time for the unfinished business of Mayor Washington, and we all dedicate ourselves, right? You're a reporter, if you're a public servant, if you are non whoever you are. And if we can make it happen here, it's worth having happening for because it will undo the many injustices that have come from here. Where Martin Luther King was once received with stones, but if we can build a city, right? Rebuild what people like ancestors lose the great the great migration of the South, and we connected all the way south. And we see that the people fought for workers' rights and the labor movement doesn't doesn't happen without our black community. And the black community has been wise. And we don't have Mayor Johnson if it wasn't for the black community. And that doesn't 80% of the vote. So yeah, that yeah. doesn't go any like we know the responsibility and we're fighting. And again, like you said, you know, we all We'll fight in different ways, right? Some people are more diplomatic than others. <laughs> but I tell you, right, that we were here with with without knowing the responsibility was at stake. And this is the vision of Karen Lewis. Yeah, you know, uh, it is funny when uh, Byron is the diplomatic one and I'm the troublemaker. <laughs> All right, uh, we'll leave it there. That one is beautiful. Some are more diplomatic than others. Uh, I'm less diplomatic than Byron. Byron, I know you got to go back. I was going to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm going to keep that little piece. Uh, <laughs> some of us are more diplomatic than others. The diplomatic Byron Sixo Lopez and that troublemaking podcast. All right, Byron, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know you got to get back to the city council. So thank you very much. Stay healthy and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank all right. You. I want to. Alderman Byron Cecil Lopez. I also want to thank producer Chris. He does an outstanding job, and I know Byron agrees with what I say. Hey, producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody, and I mean it. And remember, you can always get caught up on previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and a whole lot more, all at chicagoreader.com. Follow Ben Jarofsky on Instagram at Benny J Show. And like and subscribe to The Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.